Pray with me. Father, we uh, thank you today for the gift of your word. We ask that you speak to us through it, that you would lead us and guide us in all truth, that we might better reflect the image of Jesus. We pray in his name, that name above all names. Amen. I know you were all profoundly disappointed that uh, Pastor Laura was not able to outfit me in one of those floral Hawaiian shirts today, but apparently winter is on its way, and so I've chosen to garb myself in something slightly warmer than one of those short-sleeved shirts. Uh, rest assured, they'll be back, um, and, uh, and I know you're all eagerly anticipating that. As I know, Pastor Laura is, well, not. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Dean. I appreciate your input there. Um, I've mentioned before, of course, about a million times that I've had some military experience, and uh, I happen to have gone through basic training about three times. Not because I was really slow at it, but because I had three different military experiences. So the first one was I went to an Army ROTC summer basic training camp because it was between my sophomore and junior years of college, and I was anticipating enrolling in ROTC in the fall, and so I went to Fort Knox, Kentucky in the summer, and uh, the red clay dirt, and the heat, and the humidity. Did I mention the heat and humidity? And we would <clears throat> go around, excuse me, <clears throat> um, and, uh, you know, do all the training stuff, and blah, 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 and uh, overnight uh, bivouacs and whatnot, and we marched everywhere. We had a company commander. His name was Captain Everett. I'll never forget him because of the joy he instilled in my life. And uh, <clears throat> he was, because he had been an infantry company commander, he insisted that we, like, march everywhere. And we had this one really dusty, long-term hike one day to get out someplace to do some training, and we were about 15 miles away from the main base, and we're sitting there in these bleachers. We had done the lesson and whatever, and we'd done the training. And, and then suddenly in the distance, <clears throat> stand by. <clears throat> we now resume our regularly scheduled programming. Um, <laughs> So off in the distance, there are these uh, dust clouds begin to appear because in the red clay dirt of Kentucky, that's about all that can appear when you drive on those dirt roads. And so the red clay dust is coming towards us, and we're sitting in the stands, and we could not believe our eyes. There are buses coming our way. And we thought to ourselves, and we said this out loud, uh, whispered to ourselves, because, of course, the drill instructors were there, and they weren't happy when we were talking, when we weren't supposed to, but we said, buses, we get to ride back to base. We're so excited. And so the buses pull up, and one by one by one, these different companies of ROTC cadets, they get on the bus, and they get packed in, and they get start off to go back to base, and suddenly we realized, us and our company, there were no more buses left. And our cadet company, our com company commander said, well, let's get up, boys. We're marching back. This is why Captain Everett will forever be lodged in my brain. My second basic training experience was when I went to the Air Force Officer Training School, San Antonio, Texas. And um, that was pretty eventful. It set off my uh, career in the United States Air Force. And then later on, about 12 years later, I was back in San Antonio, this time as a basic training squadron commander. And so you might think I had stored up animosity that I was going to inflict on other people when I got to be their squadron commander, but I didn't. I was nicer than that. I did, however, learn to master the high-volume one-sided conversation. 
What's the most important thing that happens in basic training? A focus on the basics. That's what happens in basic training. That's why they call it basic training. You're focusing on those very, very important fundamental things that are going to make you fit in to something bigger than yourself. And that's kind of an ancillary product of basic training. This project to take our focus off of ourselves and focus it on something else. And this, of course, in the case of the military, it's the mission. It's the training towards whatever combat mission you might be poised to undertake. It's really easy to have our focus be on ourselves. Really, really easy. And the passage we're going to look at this morning helps us take our eyes off ourselves a little bit and look around us to see those things to which God has called us to do as individual believers in Jesus and as a church together, believers in Jesus Christ. It helps show us the way forward for progress in the church. So I'm going to read this morning from the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21. It's a bit of a lengthy read, but hang in there with me. There are important elements in this story. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum! Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. There's a lot in this passage, and I'm so grateful you've committed the next five hours to spend together with me to unpack everything that's in the passage, and we're really looking forward to doing that. No, not really. You'll leave way sooner than that, I know. But there are some things I want to pull out of this passage 
Along this theme of taking our eyes off ourselves a little bit and focusing our attention on other things and other people, not just as ends in themselves, but as purposeful reflection on how God might use us personally, individually, and together as a church to be what he has called us to be. So we need to think first about some things that we might have in common with these first century disciples. I mean, this was 2,000 years ago. We, of course, have lots of things not in common with them. Our culture is very different. Our clothing is very different. There were no really cool Hawaiian flowered shirts back in the early days of the church, unfortunately for them. Our diet is very different. They could not drive through Chick-fil-A and get some chicken nuggets and waffle fries and the best iced tea on the planet. They couldn't do that. Our music is very different. You've heard two different expressions of music this morning already. The technology, of course, very, very different, right? We have all these devices now, which apparently we didn't know that, but for thousands of years, people really couldn't function without them. (laughs) And of course, our toilets are different. Aren't you glad? Lots of things are different, but we do have some things in common with these first century disciples, some very, very basic things. The first thing is, of course, our shared faith in Jesus. The reality of the fact that the same Jesus who spoke life to them speaks life to us. The Jesus who the scriptures describe as being the same yesterday, today, and forever. Consistency in love and grace and mercy. That Jesus that they fell in love with is the Jesus that we fall in love with. So we share that with them. And so when we get together with them in the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth, we can talk about lots of things, the technology and, you know, toilets if you want. But I'm confident the bulk of the conversation will be our shared joy in our relationship with Jesus. So we share that with them. We also share with them, and I'm going to use the word privilege here. We also share with them the privilege of sharing our faith. Privilege of sharing our faith. The Bible calls this the gospel. The gospel translated really means good news. Now, I've said this before. I've seen some of you in action sharing good news with the the arrival of the latest little um, uh, micro baby um, diaper spoiler person. When those people come along, you're very quick to share that good news. When something exciting happens in your life, you're very quick to share that. We all have that capacity. And this, though, this good news is good news that somehow, for some reason, we forgot the basics about it. We don't share it the way we've been called to do. And it's a privilege. It's not a burden. It's not supposed to be something that weighs us down. We're supposed to view it the way these folks do it. Did you hear their exclamations of joy when they came back to Jesus after their mission? Jesus, you won't believe what happened. We share that privilege of uh, sharing our faith. And in this passage, what's un- one of the things that's underscored is this reality of this mandate we, we have, this, this call that we have to share that joy. In verse 2, Jesus says there's a harvest, and he's sending us out as workers Now, we're here in the middle of Kansas. You know all about harvest. You know the level of effort harvest requires. You know the care and attention that those who feed us invest in that harvesting responsibility. That's the language Jesus uses here to describe 
your call and my call to be active agents in sharing this privilege of sharing our faith. This is a, a, a mandate. It's not an optional accessory item. It's not like choosing whether to wear earrings or not, or choosing whether to wear a belt or not, or choosing whether to wear socks or not, although if your socks are like mine, which are very cool, you will always choose to wear them. It's not an optional thing. It's an essential component of who we are as believers in Jesus. So we have that in common with those first century disciples, the reality of the witness mandate. We also have this call to partnership. I don't know if you caught this in verse 1, but he sent the 72 out not as individuals, not as solo performers. He sent them out two by two, partnership. Individual efforts are always, of course, grand, but the scriptures regularly encourage partnership in ministry, cooperation, coordination, working together with others, working alongside others with whom you'd probably never connect in any other setting than the Church of Jesus Christ. Yesterday morning, I got to watch again the the crew that comes together every month to put together the community meal and the Essentials Pantry outreach. And yesterday we stood out on the front there and the wind was blustery. It was a blustery day. But every month, it makes my heart go pitter-patter to watch this shared ministry in action, this partnership between believers. And I am confident... I haven't quizzed them on this, but I'm confident that those ladies who stand around downstairs putting together those meals, they know each other better and they relate to each other better and their hearts are more tightly knit together because of the work they do to perform this ministry. Do you see? That was Jesus' idea. Partnership, cooperation. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, In verse 12, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You see what's going on there? Individual strands, of course, can be very easily broken. But you wind a few people together, you wind them engaged in ministry together, and that is durable. It's tough. It hangs in there. So, when um, I was in those three occurrences of basic training, There were regular penalties for doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Back in that day, I became very proficient in (laughs) push-ups. Now, I'm not as proficient now as I was then, but trust me, back then, because of a tendency I had from time to time to say things that were off-script, I was encouraged by my instructor to do some push-ups. Usually the push-ups were coupled with a few laps around the track. Way fun. Penalty. Push-ups. So, now, I didn't share this too long ago. It was just a few minutes ago now. But I'm going to give you a test question. And if you get it wrong, there will be a penalty. Push-ups. Which, in fact, I might pay to see anyway. (laughs) All right, here's the test question. What do you learn in basic training? Very good, although I am disappointed I won't get to see any push-ups. But very good, you retain that really fundamental information. Basics, right? 
And as a part of the church of Jesus Christ, there are some basic things for us to do. And we've unpacked a bit of that already when we've realized our call to love Jesus, to love others, and to share that love with those others. How do we do that? What are the elements of the employment of the basics? I'm going to put it in three words, right? Three very simple words. Pray and relate and invite. Pray. Verse 2 of our passage this morning, the basis for any kingdom work is prayer. Jesus said to these folks, ask the Lord. Now, I don't know if you are aware of this or not. My dad's stepmom, so my grandma, I always knew her as my grandma, she was apparently a distant cousin of Jesse James, the outlaw. This is my pedigree. Well, you remember when you see those old westerns and the, and the folks are about to be in a shootout and somebody's going to make an aggressive move, that person turns to his partner in the shootout and he says, cover me. Prayer is the cover for Christians. It's the beginning place. It's the absolutely essential baseline for everything that we do in the body of Christ. We pray. We pray. And when we do that, we plug into the power of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talked about this a little bit last week when we discussed our need to to, to rely on the power of God in Christ in order to be the people and do the things that he's called us to do. When I talk about this aspect of our basics in the faith, and I use those three words, pray, relate, and invite, some people think that the invite piece is the most crucial piece or the toughest piece. It's not. The crucial piece is this piece, the prayer piece. Because I guarantee you, money back, well, I don't have any money, but anyway, money back guarantee that if you pray, God will soften your heart toward those people that he has cast around you who need an invitation to hear about the living Lord Jesus Christ. I guarantee it. I don't know if you get these things. We recently started getting again in the mail the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes entry. I love what they do this. Well, actually, I hate what they do with this. But anyway, they do this, right? Guaranteed. Huge letters, usually red ink. Guaranteed. Very small letters, entry form. Very large letters, win a million dollars a year. You see what they're doing? Guaranteed. Entry book. Million dollars a year. Which leads some people, I guess, over and over and over again to enter the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes. And I know they regularly put out the names and pictures of people who have won the publisher's clearinghouse. I think they're all made up. But here's a guarantee. Here's a guarantee that you can take to heart. If you pray this prayer, if we pray this prayer, Lord, bring somebody into my life that I can relate to for your kingdom purposes, God will rush to meet that prayer. I guarantee it. 
So the prayer, which is the foundation or the cover, pick whatever word picture you want, that prayer leads to opportunities to connect with folks. We call this relate. Pray, relate. Because I don't know if you saw it in this passage, but in verses 5 through 7, Jesus is unpacking a relational basis for conversations about himself. It's not knocking on the door, cold call, hi, do you know if you're going to hell today or not? When I lived in Germany, one day on the apartment door, I was there, uh, the door knocked, I opened the door, really um, a well-attired young man, very earnest young man, and he said, do you know if you, go, if you die today if you're going to go to heaven or not? And I tried to say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I couldn't get a word in edgewise because he had his prepared, scripted speech that he was going to share with me no matter what I had said to the answer to his question. Didn't care, really. Well, that's not what this is about. What this is about is finding people, as a function of that prayer that we've done, finding those people that, that we can connect with in the middle of specific instructions. We don't miss the fact that these witnesses for Jesus were using hospitality to connect to other people. I flew um, to the, Roman, the, the airport in Rome a couple of times. I was on my way to Sicily, courtesy of your taxpayer dollars, and I was on my way to Sicily to do some business for the Air Force. And so I went in and out both ways. I went through the Rome airport. When I was first flying in and I looked out the window, I thought, aha, look, ancient Roman ruins. No, that was the airport. <laughs> and I landed and I changed planes. I got off on my next plane and went off to Sicily. And, and so I can technically say I've been to Rome, but I really don't know any of it. I never connected with it. It never really connected with me. There was no relational basis. It really was almost just a slightly delayed touch and go in an airplane. But these disciples in this passage, and you and I as disciples, we're supposed to connect. Connect. Relationships. And real ones, real relationships, they take some time. They take some time. I know you don't believe this, won't believe this, really, probably, but uh, once upon a time, I, I thought I would take up gardening. And I really love asparagus. So I thought, aha, I'll grow some asparagus. But it turns out it takes three years before you get your first crop of asparagus. Me, unwilling to wait for three years to get my first crop of asparagus, I tried growing some beans. And I really worked at this earnestly. I really worked really, really hard at this for about, I don't know, two or three weeks. <laughs> and then what was the garden? And see, here's the thing. When I did the garden, I, I, I mowed around it. I tilled the soil. I planted the beans, little stick thingies, so the beans could do whatever they do with sticks. I don't know. And, and so I, I did that. But then after the, you know, 10 days or two weeks or so, when I, I got tired of doing all those things you have to do to grow stuff. That's a lot of stuff you have to do to grow stuff. I just kind of quit doing it. So what happened one, and this was at the parsonage of a church in, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So the backyard had been mowed around this garden plot, which for a while looked like a garden plot. But after I decided I wasn't going to invest any more time in the garden plot, it just looked like a pile of weeds. And so then one day I just took the uh, sticks out and kind of mowed it all down. 
didn't have any beans from the garden. Because I didn't have the patience to take the time to do it, to tend to it, to be attentive to it. Relationships, they take time, they take attention, they take making the other person's interests our priority. Pastor Laura, God bless her, loves ballet. Now, let me just say that ballet, men in tights, it's not really something I can get behind very much. But Pastor Laura loves ballet, and so for every year that we've been married, I have tried at Christmas time to take her to see the Nutcracker Ballet. And I have to say that over time, it didn't grow on me at all. <laughs> but I, I was willing to invest in that because I'm invested in her. And that's what this relational business is. It's not just showing up, putting a notch in your Bible, saying, yeah, I talked to 42 people today. Wasn't that wonderful? Okay, fine. Yeah, no, that's not it. It's a relational connection. And if the prayer foundation is in place, or the prayer covers in place, again, pick your you know, metaphor. If the prayer is in place, and the relationship is a genuine one, it's been, been cultivated over time. Do you see that agricultural reference I just threw in there? Did you see that? If it's been cultivated over time, then the next thing is a natural result of the power of the relationship. And the next thing is the invitation. And that's what these folks did in this passage in verses 9 through 11. They were proclaiming that the kingdom, that the realm, that the work of Jesus was at hand. We connect with people so that we can connect them to Jesus. We connect with people so that we can connect them with Jesus. And in verse 13, that impetus, that sense of urgency about the connection is a function of the realization of the consequences for people who choose not to connect with Jesus. And those consequences are real. And that should break our hearts. And that should move us further in the direction of honoring the call that Jesus has given to us, the privileges that he has given to us in this passage. We need to know two things about this, though. Verse 3, Jesus said to the gang, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. There is the reality of risk whenever we do something in the name of Jesus. Our culture is hostile to the specifics of the Christian message. Our culture is hostile to the reality that the scriptures teach us about the uniqueness of Jesus and the uniqueness of his call. Every other religious worldview out there says you have to work your way into God's favor. Christianity is the only one that says, because of the work of Jesus, the one that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That, that is, the difference is, God reaches to us in Christ, knowing that we can never work our way towards God. 
And the other thing is, the invitation is to meet Jesus himself. There have been a lot of uh, pastoral and ministry leaders in the news lately because they have failed in dramatic ways. And that always breaks my heart. I've had my own failures in my own life. They always break my heart. But the invitation is not that we extend to folks, is not really to meet us as much as it is, or the basis of which it is, is to meet Jesus. Who are we? We are real people with real struggles in the midst of real life, extending an invitation to meet the real Jesus. This is not a perfect church. There ain't none. If you think someday you've showed up at the perfect church, don't stay there because you staying there, you're going to wreck it. There's no such thing as the perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. And trust me, I know that I am not. And that's why the invitation isn't to a pastor or really to a church. The invitation is to open the door to the possibility of connection with Jesus Christ. Here's some interesting numbers, at least they're interesting to me. The average person watches 24 hours of content a week, either through their streaming devices or on their television or whatever. 24 hours, that's the average. So that means some people are watching way more and some people are watching a little less. What if we gave up just five of those hours? To invest in others in a genuine connection and the possibility of introducing them to Jesus. Or here's another number that is alarming. The average person today spends 144 minutes a day. That's 2 hours and 14 minutes. 2 hours and 24 minutes. Right? 144? Yeah, thanks. 2 hours and 24 minutes on social media, staring at screen. Now, I have social media. I follow those things as well. But what if a day we gave up just, I don't know, a half hour of that time and used that to engage in this thing that Jesus has called us to do? Because at the end of the day, here's the result. In verse 21, here's the result. Jesus is full of joy. I like to call this making Jesus smile. And as a result of the the joy of Jesus, we have reflected joy ourselves. Because working with God, you want to know about the good life? Working with God is the really good life. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life to the full, have life and have it to the full. And every now and then, we get just a little glimpse of it. Two guys you've never met, but whose combined fault it is that you have been afflicted with me as a pastor. (laughs) Two guys you've never met. But it gave me one of those glimpses. I was about to leave my Air Force billet in Colorado Springs. And the person that was coming in to take my place was a guy named Mike Schmidt. He had been on staff with the Navigators, which is a ministry mostly to college students. His, his work had been primarily been at the Air Force Academy. But he was coming in to take my billet as I was going out. Mike Schmid, taking my spot, we got to talking a little bit, and we had in common a friend named Harry Mathis. 
And what was really knock-your-socks-off kind of information to me was that Mike had been instrumental in leading Harry to Jesus. And Harry had been instrumental in leading me to Jesus. Every now and then, we get this glimpse of the power of God at work in ways we can't even see, in ways we don't even know. And trust me, I get that we're in the middle of this COVID thing and it's really annoying and we have all these additional aggravations laid on us and, and, and it's tough and some people are desperately ill with it. I get all of that. I'm not minimizing any of that. But the reality is our call to be disciples and to invite people to be disciples has not changed. One little bit. So let's ask God to help Lyon County, one person at a time, through our praying and our relating and our inviting. Then you and I, together, we can anticipate the joy of making Jesus smile. Pray with me. Father,